is the New South Wales Country Hour with Michael Condon on ABC Radio New South Wales. Hello again and welcome to the Country Hour in the lunch break in the cricket. Coming up, the cane industry in the far north coast says it's dodged a bullet this week with a heavy rainfall and flooding in the region. And Australia's $600 million banana industry is on high alert as massive flooding could potentially spread disease. We'll hear more about those stories shortly. But before we do anything else, let's turn our attention to the weather. We've all been talking about the weather lately. And Dylan Bird is at the Bureau. Good afternoon. Welcome to the program. Uh, Good afternoon, Michael. How are you? Very well. So what is happening with the weather now? Is all that rainfall moved through or still some showers around that sort of north coast, mid-north coast area? Yeah, look, there are, um, there's still a risk of um, showers with a bit of onshore flow, mostly from the southeast, um, but, uh, and an isolated storm is possible. But, um, yeah, it doesn't look like anything severe or um, uh, any likelihood of um, uh, heavy localised rainfall like we did get over the weekend. Um, but um, it does look like uh, most of the attention is now focused over the central and southern parts, particularly over the southeast today. Um, with a uh, risk of uh, some severe thunderstorms. Most likely, um, if a severe thunderstorm does occur, it would be for um, heavy uh, localised uh, rainfall with a possible flash flooding. Um, but there's still an additional risk of maybe some damaging wind gusts and uh, an outside risk of maybe some larger hail down there too. Um, but yeah, it looks like uh, we'll see that ramp up for most parts uh, over, say, this far southeast, so looking at um, like the Snowy Mountains, Monaro country, maybe into the southern highlands today, and perhaps southern parts of the ACT as well. We saw quite a bit of rainfall in some of those uh, western parts of the state yesterday. I heard some reports on farm of 40 millimetres around the Ivanhoe area and uh, yep. 20 millimetres around Lake Cajelago. So, yeah, that's, uh, so that was sort of moving through, was it? Yeah, that's right. I mean, we saw the similar risk today, for, um, particularly over the su- southwest slopes, but it um, doesn't look like we'll, we'll see the same sort of totals that we got yesterday over like the Riverina and um, western parts. Um, but yeah, yesterday, some, definitely some good totals, like uh, uh, um, over um, Narandra, saw around 40 millimetres as well, but then it's neighbours. About, about um, 40 at Wagga too, I gather. Yeah, that's right. But not far away from Narendra and Griffiths, only saw around 10 mils. So, yeah, okay, you know, so it's still hit and miss, the thunderstorm activity still. Yeah, that's right, that's right. And we're looking for, um, at more of that today, but yeah, w- w- with the storm and our shower um, signal shifting a little bit more southeastward today. So yeah, a- as I said, focusing mostly over that southwest slopes, central, um, perhaps part of the central tablelands and um, into uh, southern highlands and um, the southeast. But yeah, looking into tomorrow, it looks like uh, the inland trough, um, which is uh, sort of cradling the system, um, is moving a little bit further um, northeast, and then that trough looks like it's going to cross the coast and move uh, further north through the day. Um, and with that, it looks like the, pre- the, uh, the, the signal for the, the rain is uh, mostly over eastern parts, so um, over the slopes and ranges, um, and uh, yeah, storms throughout in those periods as well oh, sorry in those areas as well okay and um, because the catchment is so wet in the north there um, keeping a watch of that but um, hopefully the rain isn't likely to return there that seems to be the although it's a possibility yeah. but it's not likely mm-hmm. to return it seems unlikely for t- um, at least uh, for today and tomorrow um, we could see some a shower or two but um, it does look like on Friday we do have the return of the possibility of some severe thunderstorm activity through that part of the world oh right okay Whether, however uh it still, it, it still would be, uh, in my view, unlikely that we'd see those same uh, extreme totals that we saw um, of late. 
Okay. And for the rest of the state over the next few days, what are we looking at? Yep, sure. So um, looks like, yeah, as I said, on Thursday we had that thunderstorm activity um, over the east, um, um, over um, inland parts as well. We could see some uh, severe storms as well, um, particularly over like Riverina and southern parts of the central tablelands. Um, that risk uh, shifts to the northeast on Friday, as mentioned. Um, w- however, we could see an isolated thunderstorm inland as well, and mostly just shower activity over the coastal fringe um, from Friday, well, the coastal fringe south of mid-north coast. Um, and then into Saturday, it looks like a, yeah, a general drying trend for inland parts, apart from um, the far west, which might see a storm or two, and maybe some onshore showers continuing, um, well, likely onshore showers continuing Saturday onwards. And then Sunday might be the next um, feature we'll see move through the west with um, an inland trough uh, sort of uh, lingering over that part and um, looking like it's going to deepen and could uh, um, cause a a low to form in uh, southern parts of Australia and we'll see more rainfall over that part of the world, but be uncertain about the turtles so far. And you're mainly talking about the southeast there, are you? No, no, on Sunday I'm talking about the west. Right. So looking right. like looking at the far west and over um and over yeah, like most of the Riverina as right, well. Right, okay. So that's a fair way out, so you're still watching that one though. That's that's right, that's right. Mm. Okay, Dylan, thanks for that. Okay, cheers, Michael. Have a good one. Dylan Bird at the Bureau there. It's uh, coming up to uh, 20 minutes to one and the lunch break in the cricket. ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. Well, the cane industry on the far north coast says it's dodged a bullet this week with the heavy rainfall and flooding in the region, but there's concern that the weather event could increase uh, siltation of the Tweed River and the uh, growers' peak body wants it dredged as a matter of priority. Tweed Cane Growers Association Chairman Robert Hawken is speaking here to Kim Honan. The weather event has been quite quite dramatic for some people, especially on the Gold Coast, but uh as far as our cane fields are concerned, it's uh, had very minimal impact so far. We've dodged most of the rain, and uh, while the river did break its banks uh, for, for a short period, it doesn't appear to be any uh, major flooding event at all. In fact, I'd say a very minor sort of a flood as far as the, uh, the floodplains concerned on the Tweed. So that's good news. I think we've dodged a bullet. There weren't many crops underwater then at all? No, not really. Uh, there could be some slight damage to soybean crops that were planted just recently, but... Uh, I think they'll be quite okay. Yeah, so some good news for the for the year. You certainly didn't want any further damage after, you know, the last couple of years with the flood events. That's right, Kim. We've had a couple of very tough years, but um, we were looking forward to quite a good crop for this coming season in 24. Uh, sugar prices are quite good, actually, and uh, with a fairly good crop, we were quite uh, optimistic about uh, the prospects for 2024. Anything else on your wish list for this year? Oh, not really. No, not really. Uh, we'd like to see the river maintained properly, but uh, that's a big wish, and I don't think that's going to happen anytime soon. So <laughs> when I talk about the uh, maintenance of the river, of course, I'm talking about dredging the river. So that's a big topic that's been around for quite some time. Yes, we need quite an extensive program of dredging in our river, and um, the river needs to be maintained because uh, every flood event we have, there's more siltation occurs, and, of course, the siltation comes from upstream, and uh, the erosion that occurs up in the hills above Mwilumbar is quite extensive, especially in the last couple of years. So it's something we need to keep an eye on, and uh, we need to have a properly functioning river. So that's that's our wish list for, for the cane industry and for quite a few other people as well.
Well, there's certainly a lot of silt that came down in the 2022 floods uh, down the Oxley, down the, the Tweed. Um, uh, have we seen anything this time? Uh, there has been a bit of siltation, yes. It was very heavy rainfall up in the hills in the hinterland of the Tweed Valley. And um, I noticed the river was very, very muddy looking. The water was very muddy, very brown. So that means there's been a big silt load in the water and um, that silt gets deposited. A lot of it gets deposited in the riverbed. So, yeah, more siltation. Robert Hawkins is the chairman of the Tweed Cane Growers Association. An update on our story yesterday with the dairy farmers at uh, Talgum Creek. The milk tanker actually was able to get through yesterday afternoon to collect the milk from Warning View Holsteins after Tweed Shire Council reopened the uh, Talgum Road as well as Olympianwood Road as well. On the country hour, it's uh, coming up to 16 minutes to one. You're listening to The Country Hour on ABC Radio New South Wales. From droughts to fires and floods, natural disasters have seen devastating impacts to Australia over the past few years, and Aussie hay runners help hundreds of farmers experiencing impacts of said disasters and have been doing so since their inception in 2019. With the support of the New South Wales Rural Assistance Authority, they're not far off from hitting the road for a hay drop uh, pretty soon. So Undine Slack-Smith had a chat to the organisation's founder, Linda Widdup, to hear about what's brought on this upcoming trip. Well, the RAA, they do a declaration of places that are in, um, you know, having extreme weather events like flooding and bushfire. Um, so that's where... You know, I come in, I have a look at the, the situation and we, amongst myself and, you know, the others like the Hayfield Lions, they're, they're a very big part of us. Um, we get a run together, we work out how many farmers and up there, the, the poor people, they, they have suffered horribly. We did do two runs prior, but there was a lot of people that missed out. Your, your LGAs can be rather large, you know, and... When you're trying to share out truckloads of hay, unfortunately, you know, the people that register first, they're the ones that, you know, get the hay because we've got to sort of, there's a little bit of a criteria we go through just to make sure that everything's above board and being done correctly. And we go from there. And the thing of it was, I've had so many people ring me that have missed out or they didn't see the, you know, our um, Facebook page or they haven't sort of known about the runs. Um so that in turn, we, we try and get a, you know, a decent sized run together so that we can help those people just make it through, you know. So what will this trip look like? What towns will you be visiting? Is it, you know, towns that are currently being impacted by floods up there, like the Northern Rivers in southeast Queensland? So we're doing uh, Aberdeen Scone uh, in a couple of weeks. And then, yes, we're going up to the Clarence Valley. But those poor people are still, you know, copping it with uh, a fair bit of rain and that. But... We have got a couple of big runs going and hopefully, you know, that can help uh, a lot of farmers out, you know. And when when is this all taking place? So the Scone runs on the 19th, I believe. We call it Scone Run, but it's Merriwar, Aberdeen, all those Denman, you know, the um, the Aberdeen lines and Denman lines, they're looking after us with that run because they work with uh, other community-based people in those LGAs to to get the hay out or, you know, the allocations right. And then the Clarence Valley, we're doing that on the Australia Day long weekend. So we'll sort of, for the um, Scone Run, we'll be meeting at Tommingley and then going up through 
only doing up that way, but Clarence Valley will be meeting at Maroolan. Uh, we'll be stopping at Bore Dealer where Judy Dixon and, and the Lions Club up there will look after us for lunch and then we'll get to Grafton that night. So, yeah, it's only a couple of stops, you know, but we sort of got to try and get it up there because once people sort of know the trucks are coming, the anxiety, you know, kick in because they're really relying on us 100% to get those loads up there as quick as we can. Yeah, it sounds like it's a fairly big task ahead of you guys. How many trucks do you have um, involved in this? Well, there's 56 going up to the um, Scone Run, and I think just off the top of my head, 57 or 58 going um, on the uh, Clarence Valley Run, but there's there's going to be another little run straight after it for the residual 13 or 14 loads. So there's 60, 70 loads going up there, so that will... Uh, keep the, the boys busy for some time. And how many farmers are expected to benefit? Well, we try and help three farmers per truck. So, you know, um, hopefully a couple of hundred on, on each run, you know, just to to ease the, uh, you know, the stress of, you know, hay is very difficult to get up that way. So that's where us as hay runners, you know, we step in and take that bloody uh, anxiety away from them, you know. This is the first run of the new year. How yep. many runs would usually take place per year? Well, last year we did 15 runs. So, you know, it, it just depends also on where where people, where it's needed. You know, if it's needed, we will go. And, and it's just a little bit hard to predict. But we've got, like, uh, there's four runs that are on hold at the moment because they're they're still in the midst of things going on, but you know, as soon as you know that the floodwaters are down or the bushfire, it's safe because the last thing you do is send a truckload of hay, you know, into live fire. It's it's crazy. So we just wait for the you know the safe thing to go and 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 we'll go. So yeah, at the moment we've got four on hold, but two that are definitely going, and I think there's about another five, you know, waiting uh, waiting for approval, and and away we go. Talking about the uh, Aussie Hay Runners, Linda Widup is uh, the founder of that organisation and she was speaking there about their latest trip with Ondine Slack-Smith. You're listening to The Country Hour. It's coming up to 10 minutes to one and the lunch break in the cricket. ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. You're listening to The Country Hour. On ABC Radio, New South Wales. Well, let's uh, hear about the latest uh, in regards to the Richmond Valley Council and the sale yards up there. They've awarded the tender to operate the Northern Rivers Livestock Exchange in Casino to Australia's largest sale yard service provider, Outcross Agri-Services. The Armidale-based business takes over the facility on February the 1st, seven months after the gates were shut due to a standoff between Council and the Casino Auctioneers Association over new selling agreements, with the Council ultimately voting last September to lease out to, to lease out NRLX. While contracts with livestock agents are yet to be signed, Outcross Agri-Services Managing Director Tim Newsom told Kim Honan that they hope all five agents previously operating from the yards will return and he says indications are they're interested and keen to do so. We've met with them prior to New Year, really just to introduce ourselves to uh, some of them that we didn't know. Uh, most of the agents there, we've had a 
um, relationship with one way or another in the past. While we haven't done a lot of work in casino, we, we know quite a few of, of the um, agents' association um, members there. So it was really just um, an initial meeting just to um, have a chat about you know, the outcome of that process that we've taken on the lease, expressing that we're really interested in having a positive working relationship with the agents and certainly value what they bring to the table and, yeah, just a, really an initial conversation of uh, how it can potentially work and how we can work in with the agents to provide the best outcomes for vendors and buyers. And one of the main reasons that um, has led to this is that the Casino Auctioneers Association had quite a few issues with uh, new selling agreements that um, had been presented to them by Richmond Valley Council, such as a change in the yard fees, such as council taking over delivery of stock. Have you made a decision or settled, negotiated those um, issues with agents yet? Uh, We've had initial conversations. Those conversations are more around what best practice looks like, you know, how we as a group, both Outcross and the Casino Auctioneers Association, can work together to ensure that the processes that we're following are as efficient as they can be. You know, the things that are important to the Agents Association, you know, it's likely that they'll continue to do those key roles that are important to them and things like presentation of their vendor stock and handling and managing those stock prior to sale and and all those sorts of things that are important to vendors and important to agents will certainly respect their wishes in that regard and and at the same time we'll be able to bring some of the experiences that we've got in all the other yards that we work at to hopefully bring best practice and efficiency and therefore cost savings to the yard and if we can do that then it'll be the outcome that, that we're chasing and Hopefully, if we can run a really good, efficient operation, then that'll be good for everyone. But the handling and delivery of stock post-sale, will that remain with the agents or is that something that you will take over? Yeah, a lot of those details, um, because we haven't got any signed agreements there, the conversations are ongoing um, and it's not just about delivery of stock or animal handling, but it's it's really across the board in terms of sale process and, and how we run those sales. And what about fees for cattle producers? Are we likely to see those change at all or are they going to stay as they are? Largely, we're starting off with the existing fee structure. I think that's a, that's a known um, entity both from, you know, for agents and, and vendors. That's a good place to start. Again, we haven't finalised our discussions with the agents about what that fee structure, the, the final fee structure will look like, but we, we're not envisaging you know, significant increases in fees or anything like that, that will be really just try and um, get the facility operating. And, and again, that is affordable for producers and incentivises agents and buyers and transporters and the other stakeholders to get behind the facility and, and make it a great success. And just how soon will you be in operating the yards? We take over the lease from the 1st of February and all going well, if we can finalise the negotiation with the key stakeholders and people involved, then we'd love to start as soon as possible after that date in terms of operating sales on site. 
Tom Newsom is the Managing Director of Outcross Agri-Services, which is a company which is involved in operating some of Australia's largest livestock selling centres, including Roma, Blackall in Queensland, Yass, Dubbo, Mossvale and Forbes in New South Wales, as well as yards in Victoria, Mortlake, Hamilton and Yay, and uh, South Australia, Narracourt and Mount Gambier. It's coming up to five minutes to one. Well, let's look at the wine industry now. Many of you would have been celebrating with a few wines on New Year's Eve, but uh, will grape growers and winemakers be celebrating this year's vintage? Catherine Brown is from the Brown Family Wine Group, and they're best known for producing Brown Brothers wines. She told Fiona Broom she's optimistic about this year's harvest in vintages, which should kick off next month. Brown Brothers, or the greater company Brown Family Wine Group, have vineyards... um across Victoria, so like Heathcote, King Valley, Murray Valley, and then also down in Tasmania. So from a Victorian perspective, we're looking really optimistic for the 2024 harvest. Uh, Coming off last year, which was uh, quite wet, we had quite a lot of disease pressure, Um, we've really seen a a fantastic spring. Um, So um, slightly early bud burst, uh, which will lead to probably harvest kicking off uh, around mid-February, which is uh, sort of on average um, spot on in timing. Um, So hopefully the weather keeps being kind to us and um, we see that grapefruit coming through. And so we'll begin with white, white grape harvest, is that right? Yeah, so normally the first fruit we bring in is usually Chardonnay from the Murray Valley. Um, we've got vineyards up near Swan Hill at Mystic Park. Um, and then uh, as we sort of move into March, uh, we'll start seeing the red fruit coming through. And so you mentioned that there was a wet year last year. Have there been any conditions this year affecting production? And what's the, um, the expected quality and, and volume this year? So everything looks really positive for this year. Um, that warm spring was just absolutely fantastic. It was just what the vines needed. Um, great vines do sort of have a bit of a, a hangover if they've had a tough year the year before. Uh, so yields are a little bit down just because the vines are recovering from you know, that the wet year that we had last year. Um, so yields, yields are looking good though. Um, because they are a little bit down, it actually means higher quality. Uh, the vine can really focus on the grapes it's got and um, really put its effort into sort of like the maturing of that fruit. So, um, yeah, we've really only got sort of a positive um, positive way to look at 2024, which is pretty good um, when you consider that we're farmers. Um, it's nice to start with a, a positive outlook and hopefully it continues that direction. And so we've just come through the festive season. What were consumers buying for uh, the Christmas and, and New Year period? We're seeing an amazing um, trend happening in sparkling white, um, especially Prosecco. There's huge growth in um, that sparkling white Prosecco category. And we saw that flowing all the way through the festive season uh, last year, um, like so the year before, 2022, and also this 2023, 2024 um, side of things. Um, and we see that's really occasion-based. Um, people are more sort of, you know, the casual entertaining, the daytime entertaining, the barbecues. Um, and that sort of sparkling white is, is really coming out. Um, something we're also seeing a lot of um, a huge trend in is uh, zero wine, so zero alcohol wine. Um, mm, yeah. we, we currently have a Moscato and a Prosecco in zero alcohol. And, um, yeah, the, the sales increase has just been amazing in that over this festive period. So really seeing people like looking for that sort of healthier option as well. Yeah, we're hearing a lot about the zero and low alcohol markets. Uh, In terms of 2024 uh, consumer trends, um, what can we expect this year in terms of um, upcoming varieties or or, or growing popularity? 
Yeah, we're really seeing um, a bit of a, a groundswell in, in chilled reds. Um, we have an amazing great variety that we developed with the CSIRO um, decades ago called Tarango. Um, Tarango was quite popular in the 80s and grows up um, sort of in the warmer regions around um, Swan Hill, Murray Valley sort of area. And um, this is a, a great variety that makes it sort of um, essentially a rosé, but uh, but sort of um, more bold in style, sort of sort of sitting between that dry red and a rosé. Um, but we chill it, and we're really seeing a trend coming through of sort of like that that easy drinking red wine for sort of like that barbecue occasion. So it'll be interesting to to keep an eye out for um, you know varieties like Tarango, as I mentioned, um, Gamay also um, fits into that chilled red, easy drinking red. Um, and there's some other um, wineries out there working with some Mediterranean varieties that really fit into that category as well. What does a Gamay taste like? Uh, the Gamay, it sort of sits on a, a Pinot Noir spectrum. It's sort of got that nice sort of um, cherry, um, juicy red fruits. And because it doesn't have very high tannins, um, you can actually chill it down and makes a really lovely drink over these summer months.